church. Uh, Sundays for us provide a, a large group teaching time and an opportunity you know, to, to get to know each other and worship God. Um, but apart from that, community groups or small groups, um, the three different kinds we have really are like little greenhouses where God grows us in a, in a very different way. And so we, uh, we are a church that wants to be built around small groups, relating to each other in small groups, building relationships, not just about the meeting time, not just about showing up, but connecting with people beyond that and beginning to uh, experience the types of relationships and be refreshed in relationships like God has intended. So I hope you'll plug into a group. Um, by coming to the kickoff on Wednesday, you're not committing to any group. You're just coming to learn a little bit more about each of the different kinds of groups. So, so. well, I, I just, last night I landed back here. I was in Texas most of the week, and so it was very good to get home and see my family and was at a conference with some uh, other people in ministry, just a training conference. And But it's interesting, as a pastor, um, I've shared this before, most people don't know how to relate to a pastor. Um, there's men, there's women, and then there's pastors. It's kind of that other gender. <laughs> and you don't really know what to do with that gender. <laughs> you don't know what they are, who they are, kind of an alien kind of person. So most of the time when I meet people and they learn that I'm a pastor and we begin to, you know, after we've been talking and they find out what I did for a living, either I share or they ask me, usually the conversation takes a major turn. And sometimes it's an oh no look across their face, depending on what they've been saying, depending on how the conversation has went. Um, there's sometimes a look of horror. And some, some people feel really compelled to tell me all the reasons why they're, they're not in church or to confess everything that they've done recently and... Uh, but another thing that I find funny is that oftentimes people, in an effort to relate to me, will tell jokes about heaven. Um, like, did you hear the one about the guy, you know, the two guys who end up in heaven? And, and uh, did you hear about the two guys who love basketball and they're wondering if there's basketball in heaven? And so I appreciate that effort people make. My uncle always has jokes for me, and he tries to tie it into heaven. And so every time I see this one uncle, he's got, a, I got a new one for you. Two guys show up in heaven, and, and they ask Peter this, and... So anyway, I just, but this whole idea of heaven is something that is kind of confusing. It's kind of appealing, intriguing to us. And so it's something we're going to look at this morning. We have lots and lots of questions about the afterlife, what's going to happen when we die, where are we going to go. Um, We see books about death and near death or afterlife experiences. There's a book that, pretty popular book called 90 Minutes in Heaven. I don't know if you've heard of it or read it, but. Apparently a guy died in a car crash, and I think it's 90 Minutes in Heaven. Is that the title? He died in a car crash, and he was pronounced dead at the scene by four, you know, EMT folks, people, whatever they are called. And uh, 90 minutes passes, and a pastor goes, and he wants to pray. He just wants to pray over this man's dead body. And he prays, and the guy comes back to life, and... uh, so now he's traveling the country and he's sharing his 90 minutes in heaven. He's telling people what he saw there, what he experienced. For me, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know what to quite think of that whole experience. But this whole, you know, we, we really wonder if we could just get a glimpse into heaven, what would it be like? Who, who's going to be there? What are our lives going to be like? Am I going to get there? You know, we have all these questions that um, surface in our head. 
And the Bible says um, enough about heaven to give us a picture, but not enough to where we know fully until we get there. And so the Bible talks a lot more about things like money, very clear on things like money. The Bible talks a lot more on relationships. But when it talks about heaven, it's kind of it's kind of fuzzy, a little bit obscure. But there's enough for us to get somewhat of a picture. And um, But because of that fuzziness, it's easy to feel pretty lost when it comes to this idea of heaven. And so we've been looking through Genesis chapters 1 through 3, just looking at how God in the, in the Bible, in the first three books of the Bible, he answers some key questions that his people had about life. You know, how did I wind up here? Do I really matter? What am I supposed to do with my life? He answered these types of questions. How can I find forgiveness? We looked at that last week. And so this morning we're going to answer another question, which is where will I end up? And we're going to take a look at, again, Genesis chapter 3. There, there is some real rich imagery in the Bible, especially in the book of Genesis. And then as you come to the very last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation, there's this rich imagery about this place called heaven. And so I want to look at that with you this morning. So we're going to look at a couple of verses here out of Genesis chapter 3. The last th- three verses, it says this. This is basically, these verses come after Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. They had sinned. They rebelled against God. They blew past some boundaries. And now there were some consequences for them. Sin entered the world. They lost their innocence and their purity. Bible says that they were separated from God, and because of their disobedience, it brought on all sorts of pain for them in the future. And so let's look at Genesis 3:22 through 24. It says this. It says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he had been taken. So he's sent out of the Garden of Eden at this point. Okay? He's cast out of this place that we looked at a few weeks ago was a paradise, the, the perfect place, okay? the place where we would want to spend our lives. Nothing breaking down, nothing wrong, no problems. God banishes them from this place. And then verse 24 says, After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, which is angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So, you know, they sinned, they went against what God told them to do, and they're, ultimately they're, they're ushered out of, out of paradise. They're forced out. And they're forced to live east of Eden to start life out there. They're not allowed to go back to the tree of life, because if they did, they'd live forever in that state. And so <clears throat> death had been ushered in because of their sin, and so God... Now, uh, you know, brought these real serious consequences. And basically, I would say that the rest of the Bible, after Genesis chapter 3, the entire Bible is really our quest, mankind's quest, to get back into a right relationship with God. If you've got a listening guide, you can follow along. But that's true. The entire Bible is our quest to get back into a right relationship with God, to that place of innocence, to that place where we are intimately connected to the presence and to the purpose of God in our lives. That's the story of the Bible. How, how is that going to happen? And the question becomes, how do we get back to that place? How do we get back to the paradise that was experienced and intended for us in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2? 
Which leads to the question, how do we get to heaven? Because that's this paradise now. And how do we experience all those wonderful things? There's all kinds of different opinions on how you get to heaven. And I think we have a video that we're going to run. We're going to try. We're having a lot of problems with our, with our computer today. And so let's see if we can run this. Good karma. Yeah. Just always, listen. That'll always come back to you. Be a good person. I don't really think it's possible not to sin at all, but don't commit too many sins. Um, just by being a well-rounded, good, moral person. Be a good person. I don't know. Don't drink. Don't cuss. Don't swear. Don't do drugs. Be as helpful to other people as you can. Trying to be a good person and uh, I guess asking forgiveness because nobody's perfect. Um, you believe in Jesus. I don't have anything to say about it. The stairway to heaven. I don't think there is one. I'm not sure. You better ask him for a better answer. Um, you have to live a good life, pretty much. Um, you know, maintain the commandments and stuff like that. Random acts of kindness, I would say. Yeah, it's certainly not flying airplanes into buildings. I would have to die first, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I mean, I'm Hindu by religion, my parents, but I, but I believe in a religion. I think the enlightenment process is the same in every religion. Heaven? I just listen to God. Whatever message He gives to me, I'll just listen to Him and I'll go up there. I know that. Through uh, believing in Jesus Christ, my Savior. I'm not a comment on that. I have no idea. No idea? Nope. I would... It's interesting. One of the most common answers about how do you get to heaven really is you be a good person. You know, you do, you do good with your life. And but the thing is, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that if you're just a good person, you'll get to go to heaven. It doesn't say that if you just jump through enough hoops in your life, then at the end of your life you'll get to arrive there in heaven. Um, If that were enough, if doing good was enough, then we'd have to get into another question, which is, well then, how good is really good enough? How much good do I really need to do? If it was all about good works, then is it, you know, know, I need a ratio, like a two-to-one goodness to bad? What is acceptable? Some people say everybody gets to heaven. Some people believe that all paths lead us ultimately to the same place. And if this were true, I just want to make sure that I'm not bunked up next to Hitler and Manson and everybody that's done despicable things in this world. You know, the scripture has a lot to say about how do we get to heaven. And if, if it is just through good works, if you take that thought and run it down to its conclusion, there's some real problems with believing that, you know, that what we do on earth is irrelevant to how we will spend you know, life or spend our afterlives. There's really a connection. The Bible teaches a lot about how do we 
receive eternal life. The Bible teaches that there's a real problem for all of us, and the problem is sin. Adam and Eve, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, they blew past some boundaries, and you know, sin entered the world. And now in, Ad- in Genesis chapter uh, 3, it says after they sinned, they were, they were trying to cover themselves up because they were naked and they were ashamed. And when God came looking for them, they were hiding from him. They felt guilty about some things because their sin had separated them from the purity that they could have experienced with God. The Bible says this. You have this in your outline. It says that the wages of sin is death, meaning the price to pay for our sin is death. And that's what we see in Genesis. Adam and Eve are not allowed to eat from the tree of life. They're not allowed to live forever anymore. And they're banished. They're outside of the Garden of Eden. So the wages of sin is death, but the verse continues. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life is a gift. It's a gift. It's something that we didn't earn. You know, what do you do with a gift? You take it. You accept it freely. You just, you willingly accept it. And you're grateful for it. And then you, and you go on with your journey in life. In the same way when it comes to faith, God offers us a free gift of eternal life. We don't have to stack up good works hoping that in the end it's going to all outweigh the bad. What it is is God just offers us a gift to bypass that whole good work system. And he sacrificed in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself died so that we would not be separated from God. Because the wages of sin is death. Someone had to die. What God did in Jesus is he died in our place so we wouldn't have to die. And that's a gift. And the Bible teaches that we enter, as we enter into this grace, as we enter into that grace Now we're on a new road, and that road leads us towards heaven. In Christ, our destination at the end of our lives is all eternity in heaven. We get to experience God in a fresh way, in a new way. And heaven is this wonderful place. And I want to look at this this morning just really briefly. Look at Revelation 21.4. It says, this is what God says, or this is what John, one of the followers of Jesus, said about heaven and about what God would do there. It says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You know, the old order of things, where where are we living today? That's where we are. We are living in an old order. We still deal with the consequences of our sin. We still deal with pain and suffering, and struggle, and tension, this is all effects of all the effects of sin, and we see this in Garden of Eden. But the Bible says that at a certain point, God is going to usher in a new order, and He's going to change some things. Look at verse five. It says, "He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new.' This is the hope of heaven that God is going to do work. He's going to do something different as He as He takes away the consequences of this old order and the things that we experience because of the sin we struggle with, because of our own rebellion. Look at some of these interesting similarities. If you were to take the book or the first three chapters of Genesis and the last three chapters of Revelation, so the first three chapters and the last three chapters of the Bible, and lay them over each other, you'd see some really interesting similarities about this change that's going to take place. Okay, and you see it in your outline. Heaven's going to bring about a major change. 
There's going to be all sorts of things that God is going to reverse in heaven. So let's just look at some of these briefly. Genesis 1 through 3, you see the old way. And then in Revelation, you see the new way. So the first one is Genesis 2.17. It says, In the day that you eat from the tree, you will surely die. So death, that's part of the old order, is there's death. We will, we will die. Look at the, the new order, Revelations 21.4. But you must not, it says, uh-oh. There it is. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more, no more death. So he wipes out death in the new order. In heaven, there's no more death. Look at Genesis 3.1. Satan, in the old order and in, the, in our lives today and in this world, Satan is the deceiver. He came to Eve and he's, you know, he was crafty, more crafty than the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree? In the garden, or from any tree in the garden, he tricked her. He he deceived her. Well, in Revelations 20:10, God is going to remove Satan forever. Satan is removed. It says this is Satan's doom, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Some sometimes, some people think that Satan is just a just a. a a symbol of evil, but Satan is a, is a very real spirit. He's a spirit, and he works to take us down in life. If you've decided to follow Christ, then part of his um, goal and desire is to disqualify you, is to ruin your reputation, is to, to keep you from wanting to, to connect with God and walk with God. But in the new order, God's going to remove Satan. Look at this next thing, pain. There's pain we experience right now in this life. Women, one of the curses of sin and the rebellion was pain in childbearing. With pain, God said, you will give birth to your children. The pain from childbirth is, is connected to rebellion. And, but this is going to be done away with. Revelation 21.4, again, it just says in there, <clears throat> there will be no more crying, no more pain. God is going to remove these things. There's going to be major change. Another thing, the ground is cursed because of sin and rebellion. Kind of in the middle it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Up to this point, before sin, the ground would produce good fruit. And there wasn't thorns and thistles and things to dig out of, of, of the Garden of Eden. But now, because of sin, Adam had to tend... He had to work really hard. And so that's part of our challenge in life. We have to go to work. We have to, through, you know, we're cursed to have to work for the rest of our lives. But in Revelation 22, 3, it says there's no more curse. No longer will, be there any, will there be any curse. God is going to pull that, pull the curses. He'll take them away. Paradise will be closed, Genesis 3, 23. This is all from a, a theologian who, who looked at just the fact that these Genesis 1 through 3 and Revelations 20 through 22 just lay over each other in a very interesting way. And, but he, he says paradise is closed. You know, God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And then look at Revelation 21, 25. On no day, this is talking about heaven, will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Genesis 3, 24. We're driven away from God's presence. 
the end of Genesis 3. They're banished, and they're not allowed to come back into the Garden of Eden to relate to God in the, in the way that they had. And then Revelations 22.4 says that you know, we will see his face. So there's something that God is going to do in the end. We'll get to experience major, major change in life. And, you know, God just kind of frames up this story. He shows us what his intention was, then there's a problem, and then he says, you know what, he steps in and he, he, in Christ, gives us a a solution. Revelation kind of tells us what can be expected in heaven. And it's it's still hard, though, to get our mind around what is heaven really going to be like? You know, are we going to be just in one big church service singing forever and ever? Are we all going to have halos on our head and we'll all be in a big choir and that's all we're going to do? Um, I don't think that's really just the case. I think there is worship is going to be happening there. There will be worship and praise of God. But there's other things that the scripture seems to allude to. Um, there's going to be some responsibilities for us to accomplish. We'll be in a relationship with God and we'll be able to relate to him. And we'll be able to relate with others who know him as well. So there's some things that, just on the back side, heaven really gives us a hope for things. One is it gives us the hope of a new body. Every year that I get older, this hope becomes more and more appealing to me. Because we're breaking down. Our bodies are breaking down. And maybe some of you feel that more than I do. But I, I'm starting to feel pain and and. My body doesn't recover as easily as it used to. Um, last Tuesday, I injured myself at wrestling practice, and I, I jammed up three fingers, and I was thinking to myself, suck it up, suck it up, finish. You've got like a minute to go, suck it up. And I, I sucked it up, but as soon as the match was over, I oh, walked away, I got by myself, and I grimaced because there's real pain there. And you know... That's just our bodies are breaking down. Our bodies are fragile. So we're, I'm holding on to the hope for a new body. Um, you know, look at this verse, Philippians 3, 20 through 21. This, this says this. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. For those of us who know Christ, you're not a citizen of the United States alone. Your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. God is going to give us a new body like Christ's glorious body when he was resurrected. So what was Jesus like when he rose from the dead? The scripture says that he died on the cross. You know, He was crucified. He was buried in the ground. Three days later, the Bible says that he rose physically and he showed himself in bodily form to his followers. Over 500 people saw him. They said, that's really Jesus. Um, but we see his glorified body interacting with people in, in a very human-like slash Star Trek-like way. Um, it was his body. People recognized him. Um, it really was him. He still had the scars on his body to show that where he'd been um, crucified and where he'd been uh, pierced. Thank you. Help me out. Anybody has any... I appreciate that. He was recognizable, but he had these also strange abilities. He could move past in and out of walls. Um, there were some other dimensions, it seems like, that, that Jesus was able to um, just 
do some things that we're not able to do. He, he, he was no longer limited in, in the physical sense like we are limited. And so what is our body going to be like that? Is it going to be, you know, just Star Trek? We really don't know. I wish I knew. But the Bible says that we will be like his glorious body. What that really means is there won't be any more breaking down. We will experience the body that God intends for us to have. There's not going to be any more acne. There's not going to be any more need for glasses or hearing aids. There's not going to be any more hair loss. Thank you. By the, you know, by then, I probably won't have any more anyway. So, but you know, I wonder if I'll get to heaven and have a full head of hair in my glorified body. I might have that, you know, and so I could style my hair again. No more counting calories. No more chemotherapy. No more need for doctors. No more sickness, pain, death, suffering. God will take it all away. And often when we when we look at the scripture and the Bible describes heaven, God describes it in the terms of what it's not. Because it's something we don't fully understand, what he does is he tells us what it's not like that we understand right now. Um, so there's no more death, there's no more pain, no more suffering. Because if he started trying to describe everything, we probably don't have the minds to really fathom everything, you know, the glory of heaven. I just don't think we could take it all in. So he tells us what it's not like. And um, there was a movie, just to compare this to something, there was a movie called End of the Spear. You may have seen this. It's about some missionaries in, I think, uh, South America. And they went to reach some uh, Indians that were unreached, had never heard about God. And these missionaries died as they were trying to reach these uh, Indians. The Indians thought they were a threat to them, and so they killed them. Well, years later, the son of one of these men went back to reach these people, actually... um, built a relationship with the man that killed his father. And um, he was bringing him to America. Now, this was a man, the Indian had never experienced civilization. He'd never experienced um, anything outside of, you know, the jungle where he lived. And so in order to prepare him to come to America, he said, you're not going to have to hunt for food. You're not going to have to sleep outside. You're not going to be at war with others. You're not going to, and so he described it in terms of what it's not like, and that's really similar to how God describes heaven. He gives us things that it's not. He tells us what it's not going to be like. So that's one thing, though. It's it's you will in heaven have a new body. Heaven also gives us the hope of a new home, which is a good thing. Every remodeling job I've ever done has taken a long, long time. It seems like takes much longer than I'd ever want, and. But the truth is we can wear ourselves down on earth, fixing up and building houses here. And then the Bible teaches that all the earth is going to be consumed by fire. It says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Look at this verse. This is in 2 Peter 3.10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's the bad news. It's all getting wiped out. But the good news is, the Bible says there's going to be a new heaven. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And it's described in some really amazing terms in the book of Revelation. Um, It's called the New Jerusalem, the city of God. And it's bigger than anything we can really understand. Um, The scriptures tells us that that it is 12,000 stadia long. Now, stadia is not a term of measurement that we use, but... 
12,000 stadia is the equivalent of 1,500 miles. Okay, so 1,500 miles long. That's the distance from the state of Maine to the state of Florida, between the two. So it's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles um, wide, and 1,500 miles high. That's a very, very large area. Just to give you an idea how, how high that is, if you were to travel 100 miles up into our atmosphere, you would, you would go beyond our atmosphere. So 1,500 miles high. Heaven is just this, I can't get my mind around it. It's just this amazing, glorious place. There's enough room for everybody. And God gives us this vision of this, this city where we will be able to spend all eternity with him and with those who, who know him. Some, some of us might ask, are we going to know our friends? Are we going to have relationships in heaven? I think as you study the scriptures that it's pretty apparent that we will know people that have gone before us, those that maybe even took, a, took part in our lives, you know, had poured into our lives, maybe shared their faith with us. We'll know that we'll be in relationship with those who, um, who we shared that journey with in life as we walked with God. But this is a very real hope that we have. Many of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost people very close to us, and we look forward to seeing them again in heaven as we experience life forever. The last thing is this. Heaven gives us a new perspective on life. Heaven really, the reality of heaven, ought to shape the way we live our lives today. It's really hard for people, for us, to to live a balanced life right now because you live on the earth, but the scriptures promise heaven for all eternity. And so sometimes we can get out of balance. Some people will get very focused on heaven alone and on um, what the scripture says about what that's going to be like. And they get very, very focused on the last book of the Bible and the details there. And they, they're not very, they're good for nothing almost on earth. They're too focused on heaven right now. And you have other people that live only for the earth. They pour all their time and energy into the earth and then it all slips out of their hands. So I think God wants us to find a healthy balance. He wants us to be effective on the earth and to pour our lives into things that are wise and useful and to obey him, but also to realize that this is not where we're going to spend all eternity. We'll live forever in heaven. And so you have to live life with a balance as it relates to heaven. It should give us a different perspective on the way that we live our lives. You remember the fashion designer Johnny Versace? He was a guy that he died in 1997. He was known all around the world for his fashion design. He had a client list of all the most important people in the world. Well, he had a lot of stuff. He had mansions that were worth millions and millions of dollars, lots and lots of money. And once in an interview, there's this quote I wanted to read to you. Someone asked him if he believed in God, and here's what he said. He said, I believe in God, but I'm not the kind of religious person who goes to church and believes in the fairy tale of Jesus Born in the stable with the donkey. I'm not stupid. I can't believe that God, with all the power that he has, had to have himself born in a stable. It wouldn't have been very comfortable. And he told the biographer that he wanted to live forever, but he said, if there's one thing that I'm afraid of, it's missing what will happen to me tomorrow. He was living. He was so focused on the present. And so he poured all his energy into storing up stuff in the present. And then many of you probably remember what happened back in 1997 was he was brutally murdered and his life came to an end in a moment, in an instant. 
God wants us to have the right perspective on life. Heaven really does shape our perspective. Look at this. Jesus said this. Matthew six nineteen through 20. It says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. The Bible says that we were made to live forever. And God has put eternity in all of our hearts. We were created to, to connect to God and then to relate to Him forever. Jesus said this in the book of John. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. There's hope that we can find in Jesus for the, for the life after. He really does give us a fresh perspective on life. Uh, this morning, I really wanted to encourage you to settle this whole question in your heart and in your life about heaven and how the Bible says we get to heaven. It's not through our works. You can never earn God's favor and be granted entry into heaven through your good works alone. Scripture says, for it is by grace you have been saved. And it's because of God. It's because he gave a free gift in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as the Bible says, we get to heaven as we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know many of you are here and you're on a spiritual journey and you're asking questions and you're somewhere, you're searching for answers. And, um, you know, if you already know Christ personally, that, that's the hope you have, is eternity with Him. But if you don't know Christ, it's the starting point is to surrender, to yield your life to Jesus. And there's a step of faith involved. It's very difficult to believe in somebody named Jesus, to put your life in His hands because um, we didn't, Lived, you know, he lived 2,000 years ago. And so we're, we're putting our faith in something that we can't fully see. It requires a step somewhat in the dark. One of the things that you have is you have people that take God seriously, that believe that he is real and that he sent his son Jesus. You probably know some people who are Christians. And if that's you and you've been looking at their lives, I'd encourage you to take that into account. See how God is working in people's lives. That has a lot to do with how people come to know Jesus Christ. But if you, if you would like to respond to Christ today, then I'd like to lead you in, a, in just a simple prayer. You can respond. You can repeat that after me. So let's, let's all go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And if you would, close your eyes. We're going um, to pray. And if you have never asked God to come into your life in the person of Jesus Christ, and you're ready to do that, you may not be ready, if you're not, then that's, that's really okay. We want to give you the space that you need. But if you are at a point where you are ready to yield your life to Christ in faith, then would you bow your head and pray this with me? Just, you can pray this silently. Just pray this. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I thank you for living and for dying for me. Thank you for dying for my sins. I commit to follow you. And I pray for the gift of eternal life. Also, God, I pray that you will help me with the challenges that I'm going to face each and every day. Thank you for coming into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If, if you've prayed that prayer, you pray that prayer for the first time, on your, on your communication card, that little welcome card, in the prayer request comment section, would you just 
write a little cross. Make sure you have your name on that so I know who you are. Because I'd like to follow up with you. Just put a little cross there and let me know that you, you decided you wanted to follow Jesus Christ. That will um, help us know how we can help you take the next step in that relationship with Christ. If you're still in the process, you can let us know on the card as well. There's a, there's a place on there where you can learn more about Jesus Christ. And um, Cody is going to lead us in some more worship songs.